Good morning. What a beautiful sense of God's presence today. I, I, you know, you were a blessed church. Did you know that? Did you know that? I know it took a while, but uh, all the worship talent that you have here, uh, people, I'm amazed. I've watched online off and on, and and uh, just what a blessing bring entering us into the presence of God. And one of the things I was thinking about as they were worshiping, because the whole concept was about the power of God and, and who he is and turning our eyes upon him. And there's a phrase like I, I like to often use in that it's natural for God to be supernatural. So today we had a message in tongues, interpretation, and some people get hung up with tongues, and I'm like, why? It's, it's, it's natural for God to be supernatural, and if we can't tame the tongue, but he can, and he can use that. All those kinds of things, it, it, it just opens up a whole realm of things. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells where? So that's about potential. Talk about potential. Did you know you had that kind of resurrection power available into you? Now, how, a few years ago, this is, this is free, this is not about the message, just, but this, a few years ago, I was thinking about how, does, how, do, how can we... Or, not that we can orchestrate how the Holy Spirit moves, but how can we uh, and create an environment for the Holy Spirit to move and his supernatural power? So I thought about, you know, God is, first of all, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So first spiritual, then, then physical. But we can learn about the God, the spiritual, from the physical. There are a lot of, he's the creator, therefore we can learn about him in creation. So I said, what causes wind? We had wind yesterday. What causes wind? When you have a high, high, and a low, low come together, the closer, the higher, the high, the lower, the low, the more wind. The more wind. So, the more you lift up Jesus, and the more you humble yourself, the more the Holy Spirit will work in and through you. And so, and the other thing is, the high always pursues the low for equilibrium. So the Holy Spirit is always moving and, and wanting and to have unity within our own lives and in the body of Christ. And that's what the message is about today. But before I get into the aspect, I just want to share a little story about myself. After graduating from high school, I went to U University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. I was a pre-chemical engineering and then physics major. I thought, well, I'm going to be a coach and a teacher and and then on Easter Sunday night in 1978, God got a hold of me and said, no, I want you to go into ministry. And I battled him in my bed for a couple of hours, and finally I said yes. Ended up going to North Central Bible College, which is now North Central University, in the semester of, second semester of 1979. And uh, at that time, I was 21 years old, and I thought, you know, Lord, it's time that I could really get in kind of a serious relationship. You know, it's kind of time, and I hadn't really, and I, so I just prayed about that, and so there was this uh, concert coming to the uh, university, the college there, and I thought, well, that'd be a good time to ask somebody. And so I, uh, no, take this with a grain of salt, I, I, I kind of wrote down three names of people that I was interested in. Like, like, I'm, who am I, you know, anyway. And I was like, Lord, who is it that you want? And I kept seeing this gal, that one of them, Jeannie, who worked in the cafeteria, good sign, and uh, uh, all those things, and finally it worked out. I got enough nerve to walk down the hall, walk in where she was doing dishes, another good sign, you know, those things. And, and I asked her to, because um, I didn't know how to cook, anyway. And she said yes, and from then on, 
We've been now married 41 years, have two kids. And, and you know, Jeannie was, both our kids, you know, anyway, Jeannie was an answer to my prayer. And, and you know, aren't you glad God answers prayer? And, uh, and how many of you would like to be an answer to God's prayer? Well, maybe you say, I already am. You know, look at my, I already are. You know, I turn to the person next to you, you already are, whatever. But better yet, how many of you would like to be an answer to Jesus' prayer? Can I see your hand? Now, if you said, can, and I asked this question, can you really say no, Lord? Because if you say no, is he really Lord? Now, I realize you say, now you're kind of manipulating here. No, manipulation, if it's I'm doing it for my benefit, my motivation is I'm doing it for your benefit. This is motivation, and we'll get to that in a minute. And so, we find Jesus' prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's not. John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. We find that the last part of his time on earth. And, you know, the last words are most important. So, he said this in John 17, 20 to 23, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be as one. They may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, have loved them even as you have loved me. So today I've just titled the message, Unity of the Spirit. It's a message that we all need to hear every so often because uh, the whole concept of the self wanting to be independent, wanting to be our own boss, want to be whatever, not realizing the plan. But unity of the Spirit is what I call a mundane title, but has a challenging implementation. It's not easy. And, I want, and now here's the caveat. I don't want you to listen to this message with the perspective, I hope he or she gets this. No, no nubbing in the ribs, you know, nudging the ribs. I hope, No. Let it be Samuel's prayer who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. In fact, say it with me. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. And so, Lord, I pray right now, even though we pray, the Holy Spirit, that you would come, even, even as the word of tongues and interpretation said, Come to me, I love you. Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you come to us as we come to you? Would you speak to each of our hearts? Speak to us about the, the obvious things that are in our life and the, and the oblivious that we don't even maybe even realize. And draw us to yourself, Lord, that we might be one even as you and the Trinity are one. And so, Lord, I pray that this word, Lord, it would not be wise and persuasive by me, but the word of living word of God that would sink deep into our hearts and that you would have your way in each of our lives. Help us to focus on what we can control. Pray about those things that we can't to bring glory and honor to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, the main focus today. Now, Ephesians, I love the book of Ephesians. The first three, there are six chapters. The first three chapters are basically theology, foundation. This is who you are in Christ. 
And then the last three chapters are application. This is because this is who you are, then this is how you're to live. And so the, 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 the transition happens in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, where Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble. Remember, humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So I want to focus on the first part. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. As Paul was strongly emphasizing this to the Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is doing the same for each of us today. To make every effort refers to importance and applies individual responsibility. In other words, each of us have and must do our part in this. We are responsible for ourselves. I want to share some biblical reasons why. We really don't need one, but there are others that can help build this foundation of why is it important to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The first is obedience. It's obedience to the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, in God's kingdom, obedience equals love. In fact, you remember the the old chorus, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. So instead of saying love, we should say, I obey you, Lord. It's the same. You see, in our world, in our world, it's, it's how you feel. And, you know, you can leave here today feeling better. That doesn't mean that you are better because we live by our feelings. It's not about being good. It's about being godly. It's not about feeling good. It's about being good. And it's obedience because Paul says, make every effort. You make every effort. Your responsibility, you are responsible for you. And we must do our part. Being obedient to God by making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit is your way of telling God that you love Him. And so, so obedience, it's, that's very elementary, very common. We all know this. But that, there's other reasons. And obedience leads to the second thing, and that's abundance. The abundant life that God has for us. Life to the fullest. And uh, by being worthy of the calling that you've received, living up to that and receiving all the benefits of this. One of the things that I try to help, one of the things that Pastor Tim mentioned, helping churches, our goal is to help come alongside, partner with church leadership to help their people be encouraged and empowered to grow in becoming like Jesus and equipped to, to go and reach people for Jesus. You see, the pandemic revealed how well we haven't grown our people. We focused on assimilation. And the pandemic revealed people, Christians aren't coming to church. How are we going to get unbelievers? So we need to be going. And so those are two areas that the God has called me to help churches develop a process to enable that to happen. And that's the part of that people can be, receive the abundant life. Abundant life is the, having the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you like love, joy, and peace in your life? How many would like more of that in your life? And patience, right? I want patience and I want it now, right? Isn't that how it goes? The fruit of the Spirit, when we are in unity with the Spirit, there is the fruit of the Spirit in our life. In fact, we can determine how unified we are with the Spirit by 
by the quality of our fruit, and I'll talk about that. Think about this, Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let's turn it around. How bad and unpleasant it is when God's people don't live together in unity. Remember what they say, if mom's happy, everyone's happy, right? I don't know if that's totally true, but it's part of it. You want to have a place where you want to come home, right? And and a place where you feel peace and love and joy. Church is a place you want that too when you come together. You walk in and you sense the presence of God and you want to be there. In fact, you can't wait to come together. That's the body of Christ. Now, one of the things you learn, I just entered the the Medicare world, Um, so I'm dating myself, but as you get older, do you know some of the parts of the body don't work quite the same as they did when they were younger? You know what I mean? And some of you are like, what? But, you know, when all the parts of the body work together in harmony and coordination with the brain, that's good, isn't it? When they don't work, it's frustrating. Or one part is hurt. You know, when you get a headache... And, and you know, when you get a headache, it just, it just makes you not motivated and you can't get anything done. Or if you've got a sore toe or whatever, that can affect the whole. So when there's unity and when all that's working together, there's abundant life. You're feeling life to the full. So there's obedience, there's abundance, and then there's effectiveness. When we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there becomes an, a credibility to the community and those around us to show that we practice what we preach. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is our head. The credibility of the gospel is built on the unity of the spirit in the individual believer and in the church. There's a growing perspective in our society today that says, I love Jesus, it's the church I can't stand. How sad that is. Because they don't see Jesus. Did you know there are 69% of people in the United States that consider themselves Christian, but only 9% of those, of that 69%, have a biblical worldview. Therefore, those who call themselves Christian aren't living up to it, and people don't want that. But they want the real Jesus, and that's what the body of Christ is all about. And when we walk in unity, we are effective. We develop credibility to our community to reach them for Christ. Acts 2.42, we get a great picture of what happens. Listen to these words and where you hear the word everyone and each one. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It said, they were devoted to the fellowship and the Lord added to their number daily. You see the connection between the unity of the Spirit and the effectiveness in mission. Think about it as light. Think about his illumination. We are the light of the world. But what happens when that light is dimmed? The greater the unity, the brighter the light. The brighter the light, the more potential for the conviction of sin and something missing. When people see, when they come here or they see you in your workplace or in school or wherever, and they know something's different about you because the Holy Spirit is in you. I never realized how important that was one time until I would 
I had a, a banker who I got to know, and I would go in and get the bank bags for the church just because I wanted to talk to the tellers and people. It's a way of connecting. And I got busy, and I stopped doing it. All of a sudden, one day, the banker stops in my office and says, how come you don't stop in anymore? I didn't realize how much of an impact because the Spirit of God is with you wherever you go and they know something's different in you and they're looking for it. And guess what? There's a double-edged sword. They want you to succeed and fail at the same time. They want you to succeed because they want to know something works, but they want you to fail because they want to feel better about themselves. But the brighter the light of Jesus, the more conviction. The more conviction the realization of sin. The more realization of sin, the recognizing of the need of a Savior and the opportunity. But if you dim that light, the conviction dims. If the unity becomes less, the light diminishes, the conviction diminishes, the need diminishes, and people miss out for eternity. There is no plan B. The church is plan A. And then there's the synergy that comes. One plus one in God's math equals seven, eight, three. The synergy, where two or three are gathered in my name, he's here. Where two agree in one thing, yet what shall be done? One can chase a thousand, two can put ten thousand to flight. When we walk together, there's that synergy of of magnification that can happen when a church comes together. That's why Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The fourth reason is defense. Unity is defense against Satan's main strategy. Pastor Tim was at a silent prayer retreat I was at and, and several others. And a lot of times I've been on them, I watch, and you're walking outside, and, and you see a flock of geese. And you ever notice when you see a flock of geese on the ground, there, there are some of the geese that are eating, and there are several that are sentries watching. And they trade off. If you ever watch them, it's interesting to note. And the issue is because they realize they're protecting the flock. And, and something to realize, when there is a battle, when the enemy comes against us, we recognize that we're doing something Right? Because he's not going to bother a church that's not doing anything right. He's not going to bother a person that's not doing anything right or not being effective for the kingdom. As soon as you start being effective for the kingdom, he's going to come at you full bore because he doesn't want to see people rescued from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of the sun. So he's going to come at it. So we need to be careful to not give the devil a foothold in in our lives. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. And we're reminded in Ephesians 6... That our battle is not against flesh and blood. You see, Satan wants to get us looking horizontal. God wants us to look vertical and recognize that his strategy is to keep us looking this way rather than the other up and up. I'm reminded of September 11, 2001, when the two towers were hit and the Pentagon was hit, if you remember those days. And, and back then, there was battle going on between the Democrats and Republicans. The same yesterday, today, and hopefully never forever. But when that happened, I saw a picture of the Senate, or the senators, the Republican, and, and, and Democrat senators on the, on, the, on the steps of Capitol Hill, arm in arm, in unity. Why? Because they recognized who their battle was against. We need to recognize who our battle is Against. Now that doesn't mean we can be well. We can be used. 
if we allow the enemy to get a foothold in our life. And here's the principle. You grow closer through shared conflict. When you understand who the ba- who the, where the battle is, you, you fight that battle with spiritual weapons, and that's prayer and the word of God and coming together and recognizing that together. Mark 3.25, Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. I like what Billy Graham said, stay close to Christ. Because the closer you are to him, the farther away you are from the devil. Staying close to Christ is equated with and will naturally produce unity of the spirit. But what is this? Unity of the spirit. Anyway, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We look at the whys, I'm going to look at the what's. First of all, unity of the spirit is supernatural. It is of the spirit. It's not something that you and I can do, reproduce. Now, there can be a human unity, as we see in the Tower of Babel, as, as you, that story there where they came together and wanted to make a name for themselves. There's that unity that can happen on a football team, and, and, uh, or not, as we see now. But uh, the, the other thing is, <laughs> so the, the whole idea is the personal close relationship with Jesus is the prerequisite and the conduit for this unity. So it's supernatural. Jesus in John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I used to struggle with that. Lord, I can do a lot of things. But things that are last for eternity, things that are going to last, only happen as I stay connected to Christ as individuals and together as a church. I remember years ago, I attended, for a number of years, a pastor's prayer summit at Green Lake, and we had uh, Pentecostal pastors, charismatic pastors, Baptists, Lutheran, Methodist, come together for prayer. Imagine beginning was kind of interesting, the first day of prayer or whatever, but by the end of three and a half days, there was such a unity there. Why? Because we focused on the Lord, and he drew us together. Today, the song, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, that's what we're here to do today. And the things of earth go what? Strangely dim. In the light of his glory and his grace. In heaven, is it going to matter? So unity of the Spirit is supernatural, but unity of the Spirit is personal. You see, if you've been born again, Christ lives you in you by his Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, you just don't get a place in heaven. You get a person. In your life, the Holy Spirit that comes in. And now there's a, and and he's the Holy Spirit, and you've been living unholy and different things. Now all of a sudden there becomes a battle going on between the flesh, the way that you used to live independent of God, and the Spirit of God who wants you to walk in the plan and restoring the relationship and the best plan that he has for your life. And so we have this thing going on. So the the, the Holy Spirit will always lead, lead us into holiness. And the key to having that unity in the spirit in your life is confession and repentance. See, conviction comes because the Holy Spirit is saying you're going the wrong direction. Even though it feels good and you're used to it and you like it, you say, no, this is not the plan I have for you. I want you to have the abundant life and you need to come go my way. I'm going to go back using the illustration of the wind. 
Any of you ever had the opportunity of, of trying to walk against, you ever see like the weather channel where uh, Jim Cantore is holding on to the flagpole when the hurricane winds are coming and he's almost flying away, you know. But you know how it is when you walk against a strong wind, you're working hard and you're going hard, and, but you're hardly getting anywhere and the wind's blowing and you can hardly move and you're just like, there's a lot of resistance, right? But if you turn, go the other way, it's like you're almost flying. So some of you today have walked in with resistance. The Spirit of God is bringing, there's some resistance going on where there's a, a disunity between you and the Spirit. And you're trying to go forward and it's like dragging that ball and chain. And the Holy Spirit just said, just agree with me. That's confession. That you're going the wrong way. And then turn and go the other way. And I'll walk along with you. I'll help you. How many of you like walking with the Spirit rather than against the Spirit? Man, it's so good, isn't it? So that whole concept, the evidence, the evidence of the fruit in the Spirit in your life is an indicator of the level of unity you have with the Holy Spirit. If you, and I, I might talk about love. I'm not talking about feelings, but love, joy, and peace. If you're, if you're, if you're not having that joy, or if there's an unrest, or if there are the actions of, of love aren't happening or not having that patience, that's an indicator there isn't unity of the Spirit in some area of your life. God gives us those indicators to say there's something going on. Because the, the fruit of the Spirit, which is supernatural, is... If you are in unity with the Spirit, you're, this is going to be overflowing. And I love hanging around people that have love, joy, and peace, don't you? I don't really like hanging around others like, that don't have that as much. And so that whole concept, when you have the unity of the Spirit, you're going to experience freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. When you, have, when you have unity with the Spirit, you're going to have healing. You're going to have healing from the hurts. You're going to have potential of that, the, the power of God to flow in you and through you. When, the, when, the, when, the power, when, the, when you have that unity of the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's going to be the potential to have quality relationships with others because it's not going to be about you. It's going to be about them and Jesus. Because you've received you're able to give it. And also, you know you've received it when you're able to give it. You're, you're able, you know you've received something when you're able to give it to others because you can't give what you haven't received. To the level that you love is connected to the level you receive love. To the level of forgiveness and so on and so forth. I'll hit that in a little bit. You know, when I have a couple that would walk into office and dealing with marriage issues, and there's always a he and she kind of a thing, pointing fingers at each other, and I would say, you know, the marriage is not the problem. They're like, what? If I just had this person out of my life, everything would be great. I said, the marriage is not the problem. The marriage is a problem, but the marriage reveals the real problem, which is in each of you. Because the public victory of unity in a relationship comes from the private victory of unity within yourself. You know what happens when two unstable fronts come together? Storms. When you have peace, you have the potential. And you know something? God 
allows those storms because God brings people into our life to disciple us because it brings the chaff and the stuff in our life. Remember, remember a lot of times I'll tell a, mar- a couple that's wanting to get married, marriage is two becoming one and you're not the one. For two to become one, there's got to be a lot of dying to yourself, right? Right? And it's, and it's an ongoing journey. And then think when you bring a whole group of people together. So the, whole, the, the, the unity of the Spirit is supernatural, it's personal, and then obviously it's relational. Philippians 2.1 gives us the, a good description. Therefore, if, any, if, you, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unity, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. United in the spirit, when we're born again. It's amazing when I've been on vacation or someplace and I meet another Christian. It's like immediately you have a bond because you're not united in spirit because you're both born again. You see things. There's that automatic sense of unity that God gives at that point. That whole concept of being of the same mind. We all have the mind of Christ, the ability to think alike. The ability to think what God would please God. The ability to know what to do. The issue of maintaining the same love. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving others as Jesus loved us. Having the same love. And then intent on one purpose. As 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says, we make it our goal to please him. That's our goal. Having the same goal. To please him. There are three relational dynamics. And making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the relationship. The first one is acceptance. Paul said in Romans 5, 15, 17, Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. To accept means to welcome someone different than you to be open and willing to build a relationship with one another. It is giving one permission to be who they are and where they're at. Because it doesn't matter whether you accept them or not. That's where they are. And this is what we're missing in our country today. People are not accepting one another for where they are. They want them to be where they think they should be. We see that. That's why we have division. You don't believe like we believe. I don't give you permission to be where you're at. Now, be, accepting someone is not agreeing with where they're at. Okay? Aren't you going to just as I am without one plea? Jesus accepted me where I was at. He didn't say, get your act together, and then I'll, let's talk. He said, just as I am without one plea. He accepted me for who I am, but he loves me enough to not keep me there because he's got a better plan for me, but he accepts me. He ate with who? Tax collectors and sinners. The standard is as Christ accepted you, we're to accept one another. In all of our fears and failings, you know, the whole idea. And, and here's the picture, if you can get it. Our goal, as each of us, is to become like Jesus. Would you agree? In life, character, and mission, our goal. Now, we're not, this is not a competition. It's not a race between others. We, are all, we all have the same goal, but we start at different points, and we're traveling different paths, so we're in a different place. But our goal is to become like Jesus, so I'm a cheerleader for you to go for it. Not that you got to walk through the same path and be, and I have this cookie cutter Christianity where you got to become who I think you should be. No, to be, you need to become who God wants you to be, and I'm here to, to come alongside and encourage you to be that. And the way to, that I give opportunity to have influence is when I accept somebody where they're at. You know, being a pastor, 
and you go on the golf course and you don't tell, you, tell them who you are until about the fourth hole. It's amazing how conversions happen at the fifth hole. All of a sudden, language turns around. Forgive my French father and all those kinds of things. You know, it's amazing because, and I just tell them, guess what, guys? Do you think God couldn't hear you before? But you accept them. I said, I'd rather have someone be swearing and doing all those things so that I know where they're at. I don't, don't put on airs. This is where I'm at. Okay, let's work. I can work with that. So, and you know, one of the ways that you can really show Christ's life acceptance is taking time to hear someone's story. Lyman Coleman said, you're not going to know how to love me like I need to be loved until you know my story. And when you take time to know their story, you take time to understand them. And when you seek first to understand them rather than you being understood, what a great deposit. I just need to understand. Tell me about it. And you know, when you do that, it gives opportunity for you to speak into their life. It's a great deposit into the emotional bank account. The second dynamic is trust. In a relationship, trust is a must. Say it with me. In a relationship, trust is a must. Is it wise to trust someone you don't know? You know, I was, at a, I was teaching a Sunday school class at the church in Watoma, and one of the guys at the table said, you know, I checked you out online. I'm like, why would you check me out online? I'm trustworthy. That dawned on me. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. So why would he trust me? You see, trust takes experience, doesn't it? And so the, the closer, the more you trust somebody, the more you have a close relationship with them when you realize that they're trustworthy. So when they're trustworthy, you can trust them. And, and as time goes, it grows because they keep, that, they keep that trustworthiness and you're able to trust. Jesus said this in Luke 16, 10 to 12, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will you give property of your own? So therefore, that whole idea of even Jesus recognized the ability of trust. And so it, it, that, that, then as you accept them, now the, the relationship begins and the ability to be able to give something to them that they're trustworthy with. If they prove trustworthy, you can share something more. If not, you back off. So in a relationship, trust is a must, and it must be nurtured from the other person's perspective, not from yours. Not what you think they need from you. It's what, no, what do you need from me to build trust in our relationship? Because we're all different. It's not what I think. It's what you think, because it takes two, and that's the whole idea of it. When you, uh, you, each of us feel that way. How many of you feel you're trustworthy? But how many of you trust everybody here? To different levels, because you don't know. Remember, even Jesus to Peter. Peter, after he denied him three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. It wasn't good enough just for him to say, yes, I do. He said, no, prove it by feeding my sheep. And he did it three times. Why? To tell him of the importance of redeveloping trust and how important it was. Even Jesus focused on that in dealing with Peter. And then the third thing is forgiveness. And that's, a, I know Pastor Tim has focused on the last couple of weeks. And Paul, and Paul said this in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind 
and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So I read through this. Be kind. Check. I can do that. How many can do that? Compassionate. Yeah, I can do that. Forgiving each other. Okay. Just as in Christ God forgave you. What? How am I supposed to do that? Only the Holy Spirit. So you see, forgiveness is not a suggestion or an option. It's a mandate. Forgiveness is to be given quickly for your good and for the other person. Because unforgiveness is sin, it carries with negative consequences. Unforgiveness creates a disunity in yourself. It affects you spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, and relationship. Unforgiveness leads to bondage. Forgiveness brings freedom. Unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit within you. Forgiveness releases the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit through you. Unforgiveness gives the devil a foothold. Forgiveness kicks him out of the doorstep. Unforgiveness is one of my favorite statements. I think I used it the last time I was here. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Now, it's not saying that that person didn't hurt you. It's just recognizing I'm not going to allow it to affect me. Forgiveness means you're taking it off your hook and putting it on God's hook so he can work in you and them. Think about as Christ has forgiven you. Aren't you glad that he doesn't forgive you like you forgive others? Lord, I forgive him, but I don't want anything to do with him. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't come to his dad and say, you know, dad, I'll forgive him, but I want nothing to do with him. You can just let him go. And so that whole concept, and here's the deal. It's a three-step process, forgiveness is, because we're human. We don't have that, the spirit without limit as Jesus did, but it begins with an act. We'd be fast to forgive. It's a conscious choice to clear the record of an offender and to bear any continuing consequences of the offense. Forgiveness is the step of faith and a decision of obedience. And to walk by faith in what God says rather than how you feel or think is a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, here's the critical thing. You need to remember this, that forgiveness is to be given quickly, but trust is earned incrementally. It's not the same. Now, let me give an example. This is not prophetic, by the way. It's an example. Let's say the treasurer of your church embezzled money. I'm, that's why I'm saying this isn't prophetic, okay? And, but, and so you recognize you know, $100,000, they embezzled money, and, and, and they had to go to jail. And you forgave them as a church because that's what you should do. And they served their five years or whatever, and they came back and, Pastor Tim, I'm done. I served my time. I've repented. I'm going to be the treasurer again. Would you do that, Tim? They'd be like, no, right? How many of you would make them treasurer again? Now, it doesn't mean that it couldn't happen, but it would be a long time, right? Do you see how it's restored? So forgiving is not the same as trusting. And what happens is when we have conflict in our life, a relationship is broken so that forgiveness can happen, but trust has to be reestablished. And how many times that happens over and over, the deeper it is, the longer it takes. It's much easier to build than it is remodel. But it's necessary. So there's an act of forgiveness. The sooner you can do that, what it does is if we confess 
You know, if we confess our sins, unforgiveness, because unforgiveness is our sin against God, and it hinders the Holy Spirit in us. When we forgive, it releases the Spirit of God in us to begin to do the work of healing so that person no longer affects us. To the extent someone control, you don't forgive someone is the effect that they still control you. The last person in the world that you would want to control you controls you because you won't forgive them. So there's a process after the act. Then you begin to pray. And you ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to you and you begin to pray for that person that God will work supernaturally in their life and bless them. That God, because guess what? If this wouldn't be by grace, if only God's grace, that I would be there. I might be the offender. And then finally, as you continue to pray, finally it comes to a point of state where the memory of being wrong doesn't evoke negative thoughts or tense reactions. And God does a supernatural thing. There's a family in our church. We're driving and they had two kids. A drunk driver hit them, killed their daughter. He went to prison. Mom and dad went to visit him in prison, led him to the Lord, discipled him. When he came out, almost adopted him as a son in their own family. That's the grace of God. Nothing is impossible with God. It's, it's natural for God to be supernatural. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working through forgiveness. And then, just in passing quick, unity of the Spirit is ecclesiastical. I don't think we think about that. That means churches coming together in unity. The evangelical churches where we have, that's a plan. Jesus said, for all who believe, and I don't think, I don't think we talk about enough, how churches are to come together because he said, that's my desire. So I'm not going to hit much on that. But then the last part, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. There's three things. The peace with God, peace of God, and then peace with one another. The first thing is peace with God. If you're here today and you're on your way back to God and you know that Jesus is not the Savior and Lord of your life, the first step you make today to go on this journey that God has for you to have this unity in your own heart and the fruit of the Spirit he has for you and all that's involved is to surrender your life to Jesus. That's the first thing. And by the way, with the tongues of interpretation, there, there is someone today here because that's the purpose of the tongues. Because that means for the unbeliever, saying that the power of God is real, that God is real, and he's drawing it to himself. Today's your day of salvation to make your heart right with God. But then this is the, the second thing is peace of God. That's where the unity of the Spirit comes, and this is where the crux of the altar call is today. There's not peace in relationship in the, in the public victory until there's peace in the private victory. The Spirit of God is in you, and you walked in. Maybe you sense in your heart, and this is for all of us, because none of us have arrived. Where the, where the wind is blowing, there's resistance there, and you sense the Spirit of God speaking to you about some things. It, it might involve somebody else. It might just involve habits or thoughts or things that, that you can't seem to get victory over, but there's, there's, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And, and, and remember... The high pursues the low for equilibrium. So the Holy Spirit is pursuing you to come in unity with him. That you can walk out of here, not feel like you're going against the wind and just working hard and getting drained and stressed and whatever. But you just say, Lord, I recognize that I've been doing it my way and I'm going to do it your way and I'm going to turn and go your way and enjoy the journey. 
You see, my desire is that some of you walked in with that resistance of the wind, the Spirit of God, and you, but I want you to walk out in the wings of the Spirit and freedom. And all it does is for you to come in agreement with the Spirit of God. And when that happens, the potential for the peace with one another comes. That is to accept one another where they are. The ability to forgive, begin that process or continue in the process of forgiveness if need be. And a willingness to trust again. You know, every year, Charlie Brown and Lucy, time for the football. This year, I'm going to hold it, Charlie Brown. And every year, she pulls the football out from under me, falls flat. But he's willing. He forgives her. And he's willing to trust again. I don't know why that come up. but <laughs> One other statement I want to read because I think it's powerful. Soren Kierkegaard said this, The imitation of Christ is really the point at which the human race shrinks. The main difficulty lies here. Here is where it's really, it is really decided whether or not one is willing to accept Christianity. If there is emphasis on this point, the stronger the emphasis, the fewer the Christians. If there is a scaling down at the point so that Christianity becomes intellectually a doctrine, more people enter into Christianity. It is, if it is abolished completely so that Christianity becomes existentially as easy as mythology and poetry and imit imitation of an exaggeration, a ludicrous exaggeration, then Christianity spreads to such a degree that Christendom and the world are almost indistinguishable or all become Christians. Christianity has completely, has complete conquered. That is, it is abolished. To accept Christianity is to do the hard things. And the hard thing is to die to yourself. To lift Jesus up and to humble yourself. Come in unity with the Spirit. And out of that, be able to walk in unity with one another. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to open the altar. And this is the focus today. That, and you can stay even where you're at. Wherever it is, just go along and say, Lord, what are those things in me? And when you're doing this, if there is something that you have bitterness, unforgiveness towards someone else, the Holy Spirit won't let you get up until you confess that and take a step of forgiveness between you and the Lord. And when you're done with that, to go to that person, not to show how they've hurt you, because guess what? If someone has wronged you to, this, to the level of seven, you don't have the right to hold a grudge at level of two. You're responsible for the level of two in order to have unity of the Spirit. Before you leave today, if there's someone here that maybe you've had a grudge against or had something against, before you go, you go quietly up to them and say, I realize the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that I've had a grudge against you. I know the enemy's tried to put a foothold there. I've confessed that. I, want you to, I ask you to forgive me. Now, that person maybe has wronged you more but it doesn't really matter because only God knows. And so that you, that each one of us can walk out in the sails, in the wind, in the freedom, in the healing, in the empowering, and the potential of the Holy Spirit walking in and through us, which when multiplied together gives the potential of restoration and creating a unity that this church has never experienced. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today?
So as the worship team begins to sing, you're free to come up front to get alone someplace. Ask the Holy Spirit, what resistance? What are you revealing to me today? And guess what? He's not going to, if there's something, it's not going to be the things you think. It, it might be very obvious. It might be oblivious. All of a sudden, something comes you didn't even know it was there. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just cut the onion? It, he peels it back so we can handle it. We don't get overwhelmed by that. But what's the next thing? To make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make a place to meet with God. Work on that personal unity with the Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.